things happened. He said he'd had a vision that night. A vision from God. An angel came to him and told him the truth of this world and revealed God's special purpose for our family. The end of the world is coming. It's near. The angel showed me. There are demons among us. The devil has released them for the final battle. It's being fought right now. Nobody knows it except us and others like us. I'm scared, Dad. There's nothing to be afraid of, Tiger. We've been chosen by God. He will protect us. He's given us special jobs to do. We don't fear these demons. We destroy them. We, we pick them up one by one and we pitch them out of this world. That's God's purpose for us. The angel called us God's hands. So we're like superheroes? That's right. Or a family of superheroes are going to help save the world. Life's the same. I'm moving in stereo. Life's the same, except for my shoes. Life's the same. You're shaking like tremolo. Life's the same. It's all inside. Only demons should fear me. You're not a demon, are you? Last week, we covered a movie based on a Stephen King story. This week, we cover a movie that was given high praise by Stephen King. Also, given high praise by James Cameron, Sam Raimi, and Robert... Roger Ebert. Not Robert. Robert Ebert. <laughs> I think it'd be Robert Zemeckis. Robert Zemeckis. Roger Rabbit. And I think this one sort of feels like a Stephen King story. First, this is a pool scene podcast. I'm Kevin. I'm joined by someone totally not a demon, nor he, he doesn't have a demon inside of him. Hey, now, I don't have a demon, but I have one thing. I make him creaming. There you go. <laughs> Willie Beeman. That's Jim making him cream. Hi. Um, of this week's movie, Roger Ebert said, it's an extraordinary work concealing in its depths, not only unexpected story turns, but also implications hidden at first that make it even deeper and more sad. I like this movie, but I'm a little surprised that he, that Roger Ebert was like all in. in. Yeah. He loved it. It didn't seem like a movie that he would. No, really that's appreciate. what I mean. It's crazy. I feel like he would have actually looked down upon because like it's fucking Bill Paxton yeah, directed this a, movie. Right. It's like put that, some respect on his name. Damn that, it! That movie is 2001's Frailty, the one and only movie directed by pool scene god Bill Paxton. Paxton, though, of course, known as an actor who starred in Twister and Club Dread and Weird Science and Haywire and Edge of Tomorrow and all kinds of shit. Lionsgate made the decision that they would fully fund Paxton's directorial debut, and at the time, this was the most money. Lionsgate had ever put into an in-house production. Insane. Now, Insane. I, I will say we'll get to that in a minute with, with Jim's stuff, but it's not like it was $100 million. No. It's just that Lionsgate usually didn't front their own money. They were yeah. usually looking for... They didn't have to put that much up for it. Yes, exactly. This movie is loosely based on serial killer Joseph Callinger, 
the shoemaker. He murdered three people and tortured four families with his 12-year-old son between 1974 and 1975 in New Jersey, Baltimore, and Philadelphia. To go into our pool crimes division for a moment, he's a lesser known or talked about serial killer. He was adopted by Austrian immigrants and was severely abused in fucked up ways. When caught, he pleaded insanity with the claim that God told him to do it. Side note, the son was deemed to be under his father's control and therefore was only sent to reformatory. All right. And speaking of God told me to do it, I just saw some church, some mega church bullshit where they spent like $1.2 million on crypto, which was lost. And when asked about it, they said God told them to do it. So the people not putting their sucker money into the goddamn till. Yeah. Yeah. But they were told, uh, yeah. God told them. Yeah. I blew the $1.2 million or whatever it was. Because this, it sounds like a Joel Osteen or Austin or whatever a little God told me fuck to is. invest in frailty coin. <laughs> tick, 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 frail, tick, 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 tick. Perfect. A lot of people think the title of the movie Frailty refers to the slow unraveling of the family, but it was an inside joke from Bill Paxton and writer Brett Hanley referring to the movie's budget, which is awesome. It's very frail. Lionsgate wanted it to be called God's Hands, which <laughs> all right. at the beginning of the movie, there's a bunch of words. There's like a black smoke effect, and you actually, the last thing you see before the movie starts is it says God's Hands. Okay. So they're really pushing it. God's Hands. God's plan. God's plan. You sound like Junior Bevel. No, I'm doing Drake. I thought you were doing Junior Bevel. This is a movie where you need more than one viewing for sure. Paxton made it that way on purpose so that there's satisfaction in catching the clues on repeat viewings. And I never time, saw this before. Yeah, this every time great. you watch it, it, you definitely notice some other things. Jim, did audiences go for multiple viewings of frailty in theaters? Please give us budget box office news and number ones at time of release. <laughs> WUAB, Channel 43, where the news comes first. This is the 10 o'clock news. Frailty, tick, 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 tock, came out first off November 7th, 2001 at the Deep Ellum Film Festival. Yeah. Whatever the hell that is. You don't know what Deep Ellum is? What it's the hell? It's a part of Dallas. It's oh, is it? Texas, yeah. So it's not like an Alamo draft house type thing. I doubt it. Okay. I mean, but Deep Ellum's just a, it's, you know, Oliver Peck, the tattoo artist. Yes, from, of course. Uh, Master. His tattoo shop's in Deep Ellum. Okay. So that makes sense then. But this was literally less than two months from 9-11, then got a wide release on April the 12th, 2002. Wait, after 9-11? Yeah. So they like... It was released this film festival on the 7th of November. I got you, but the actual release date was... The wide release was on April the 12th, 2002. I got you. So they extended it out because people weren't going to the theaters like immediately after 9-11. I mean, it's surprising that they did end up releasing this at all then. What is that? Four or five? Six months before it was released. I mean, we're going to be talking about 2001 music a little bit later, but you got to think, you know, I always say this sounds horrible. I don't know why I'm going to say this on wax, but uh, the good thing of 9-11 was that we never had to hear drowning pools let the bodies hit the floor ever again. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, after 9-11, that song was kind of obsolete. Clear Channel had like a hundred songs and there's a wiki page you can look at. There's like a hundred songs or whatever. Do not playlist. They, yeah, they basically oh, deemed yeah. these songs banned and like some of them were There's no context No, it's just because there's like a word like Tom Petty's Free Fallen was on yeah. that list because they were like, I can't play Free Fallen after 9-11. Anything, I think like uh, Alicia Key 
She's fallen, took a hit. You couldn't have had Spider-Man near the World Trade yeah. Center that was the original poster well, of Spider-Man. Was that you telling me about a, a movie you watched where the whole end culminates with like... It was Tom Hanks's first starring lead role. It was called Mazes and Monsters on Tubi. Yeah. It looks like it was filmed on a VHS thing, but the whole premise of the movie, Mazes and Monsters, Dungeons and Dragons, it's the analog. He ends up becoming the character, like he has this psychological break, but the big end thing, spoiler alert, watch the movie, it's very interesting. He needs to find the Twin Towers in this fantasy world, which they did film it on the North Tower. Inevitably, they try to stop him from jumping off the top of the North Tower yeah. of the World Trade Center. It's it's so strange. So I mean, weird. Like, I always think about the Michael Keaton, the squeeze. Yeah. The cover is him being squeezed in between the North the and South Tower. Yeah. yeah. So weird. It's odd. But yeah, six months later, it ended up, it had an $11 million budget and it made $17.4 million. So they fronted $11 million. Yeah. They, it did great. a little better than I thought. I mean, especially, I mean, six months, I didn't even consider six months after 9-11, a delayed release. Like, I, I'm surprised it even did that well. But yeah, I mean, it, I guess it didn't lose a, a massive amount of money. But how do you classify this movie? I wouldn't say this is a horror movie. No, it's like a psychological, psychological thriller. Horror. Yeah. Okay. That's what I, more like a seven, like a David Fincher-esque. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, at this time, what did you do? Reynolds, kind of passe. You're into the middle of the DVD era. You ran your ass to Circuit City and you bought these top three sellers. Check out the Circuit City near you today. Arnold Schwarzenegger in the sixth day. Oh boy. Very beginning of the movie, you get the XFL in it, which mm -hmm. is awesome. Joyride, Paul Walker. All right. And then finally, Jay and Silent Bob strike. Perfect. It's a good three pack there. And it probably, you go to Walmart down the road right now and probably buy that three pack. Six the, day Joyride. Give, give me the map, Scott. So Joyride, I always talk about with yeah. the, being ruined by the deleted scene because Joyride, you never see the dude who's chasing them the entire movie. I remember, oh, check out the deleted scene, see what this is all about. Whoops. Yeah, the deleted scene. It's just, you just see some hillbilly truck driver and Paul Walker are like fist fights him in an alley. I'm like, even though this is the canon this movie is forever ruined for yeah, it's me it's wrecked yeah don't watch the deleted scenes always i've never even seen joyride oh really never seen it i should it's a it, paul walker movie. it makes no sense it's just a, a truck driver is chasing them no matter where they go he's you know uh candy cane i think they mess with them they mess with them on a cb and then it's like a revenge plot okay so typical yeah off to some video game news here in april of 2002 g4 tv the video game network that was formerly tech tv is launched i was a big g4 tv fan i used to love watching attack of the show and x play and then what was it a year or so ago they brought g4 back exclusively on twitch but then you find out the owner of g4 this recent one was just so full of shit yeah all these empty promises and it basically resank the network sometimes you don't need to bring back what was great yeah. let it be let i don't understand why i couldn't survive the first time around i i don't really i've never really read into it enough you yeah. probably know better than i would but never really understood like why it couldn't because it seemed to have like this crazy loyal fan base but i guess maybe it just wasn't growing beyond that it was a very niche thing i mean at one point it was just video games but attack of the show was their yeah their piece de resistance there's a great documentary chris gore from film threat did on youtube now go check it out and when it came to video games two games stirred a lot of shit up grand theft auto 3 and then grand theft auto vice city 
And then after this, when San Andreas came out, the hot coffee mod. So at this time, oh, yeah. controversy, man, you're killing prostitutes, you're having sex, you're doing drugs, you're killing random people. Around this time, very, 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 very taboo. Not that it isn't, but anymore, it's kind of lightened up. 2025 GTA 6 finally comes out. Finally. Looks great. Vice it, City. It's funny because I've, you know, for a couple years now, wanted to buy a PS5 and just haven't done it. I just always have 500 bucks. I always just have something better I need to buy. Well, or, that Pro is going to be coming out yeah, soon. Yeah, and, uh, but so we got the kids a Switch and damn near should have just bought a PS5 for the investment we put in the Switch. But, you know, my wife was like, look, you can get Grand Theft Auto for the Switch. And I'm like, oh, yes. <laughs> like, it's, it's like the original trilogy. It's, but was it made by Rockstar? They paid another company to re-release perfect that yeah. it's dog shit right. runs like dog shit is dog shit yeah Don't i, I expected it. as much i mean yeah. but it's just it's just funny because that she it like reminds me of like a mom who's like no we've got that at home you know there's a there's a tiktok going around now of so the biggest shoes of last year they weren't the sneaker of the year but the high selling shoes last year were the nike dunks the panda dunks and my kids have them and you know you see them everywhere you can't go anywhere without seeing the panda dunks but this mom posted a tiktok and i think it's like done earnestly and she's like you know everybody loves the panda dunks but they're a 70 80 100 she's like i was at walmart and she found like the and one panda yeah, dunks and the, she's like these are 18 dollars <laughs> and she's like so i bought them for my son and all the comments are like kids are mean yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. your son beat the shit out of you yeah with those shack dunks or yes, whatever exactly hell. on to sports george boy good evening everybody i'm george michael and welcome to the sports machine tiger woods wraps up his third green jet Jacket going back to back at Augusta Tiger. This was during the age of the Tiger Slam where Tiger Woods was just unbelievable. He was unbreakable. And then just life caught up and it's a shame because you see Tiger now, which is crazy to think that Tiger is fucking 48 years mm -hmm. old. I still can't wrap my head around his kid. Charlie can golf like a fucking savant. Like the dude's really good. So it'll be interesting to see what Charlie Woods does in his dad's shadow. NFL draft time. David Carr is drafted number one overall by the Houston Texans. Oops. Yeah, and he went on to be sacked 82 times his first season under center, and it kind of derailed the rest of his career. Uh -huh. Offensive lines, teams, you got to invest in an offensive line. Tim Couch, for instance, derailed after yep. one year because he had no O-line. And now on to something we haven't covered in the past couple weeks. Let's go to a little news of the weird. That was legitness. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Got Wait a minute. Who are you? Oh, my God. Wow. Kevin, to create a condition of silent introspection during probation, a federal judge sentenced recidivist petty criminal. I don't even know what that word recidivist means. Petty criminal Edward Bello, who's 60 years old at the time in December to refrain from watching television for 10 straight months. So you're not allowed to watch television court ordered for 10 months. Recidivist, I think, means like a serial, like okay. a, a repeat offender. A multiple oh, okay. Repeat offender. So how are you going to police a guy from not watching television for 10 months? But he was court ordered. And then also after pleading guilty in February to stabbing a man, Leah Marie Fairbanks was sentenced to 14 months probation during which she was to read the Declaration of Independence in seven classic novels and to write reports on each. Her co-defendant, sentenced by another judge, got eight years in prison. <laughs> so, eight years in prison. You know what? There's something about you. I figure you got more in you. Can you please read the Declaration of Independence and seven classic
classic novels. Did she get to pick the novels or did the judge? I think she got to pick the seven classic novels. Animal Farm and uh, yeah, just. Uh, I'm trying just, to think. What would that be? Fahrenheit 451, Catcher in a Rye, Animal Farm, The Tempest. Crucible. <laughs> Crucible. What was that? Uh, Beowulf. 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 Dante's yeah. Inferno. Maybe. Some weird shit. That's a hell of a court order. Speaking of a court order, your number one movie in America at this time. Why did we need it? We didn't at all. Especially how you saw him look as a CGI scorpion. The Rock in the Scorpion nice. King. Why? Why? Why was there a scorpion? Side of the drive-in. Oh, that was brutal, man. That was awful movie. It's so shitty. However, there is some good stuff here. Here are your top 10 great songs of the nation in April of 2002. Number 10, A Thousand Miles by Vanessa Carlton. One of the greatest piano riffs of all time, perhaps. Number nine, How You Remind Me Nickelback. I don't remember this song coming in at number eight. Oops. Oh my, by Tweet. Don't fucking remember what? that song at all. Coming in at number seven, Linkin Park in the end. Doesn't even matter. <laughs> number six. Here's something that doesn't really matter at all. Puddle of Mud with Blurry. Mm -hmm. Number five, Girlfriend in Sync featuring Nelly. Great song. Excellent song. You're in the era of 8701. The man is Usher. You don't have to call it number four. Number three, Ain't It Funny by Jennifer Lopez and the guy that was on every fucking song at this time, Ja Rule. Where would I be without my baby? Because every thug needs a lady. Yeah, yeah. Number two, Fat Joe featuring Ashanti. So we got another person who was on every track in 2002. What's love and then finally back to back number one <laughs> foolish by ashanti So she had number one and number two. Big, big week for Ashanti. She was a bright burning star, meaning that she just like, she got all her shit in and got out. Here's another thing too. Ashanti seemed to kind of be, would you say almost like an Aaliyah-esque? Yes, yes. And then it just seemed like, because Aaliyah, I can't remember what year Aaliyah passed. Let me look it up. I think Aaliyah passed in 04. Four oh three oh four, but then again, you're right. Ashanti got oh one oh two. Aaliyah died in August two thousand one. Oh shit! So, so Ashanti was like on the. She took over. Yeah, Ashanti took over. But yeah, dude, I felt like Ashanti was around for a year and two months. Yeah, and then left. Gone. I, you don't hear but anymore. Why? I don't know. There was no use for Ashanti. I mean, I, I just don't, don't understand. We're gonna have to do a deep dive. We're gonna have to go back to behind the music pool scene edition and do Ashanti from from B four four to Ashanti. Ashanti. That's right. Though, but where the hell did she go? She fell out the face of the planet. All right, so someone in that countdown you mentioned was Usher. What? What's your prediction for what Usher's going to do at the halftime show? Uh, he's going to do the hits. So it's going to be yeah, you don't have to call. Maybe some confessions in there. Early stuff. I think you got to nice do, and slow. I think maybe not, I don't think you do nice and slow. You would do um. This you is made how me you remind me by Nickelback. <laughs> He's going to cover a Nickelback. If it's a Nickelback-Usher combo, I'm all about so it. if he does, yeah, you'd think maybe uh, Luda? a Lil John or a Luda. That'd be cool. Guest appearance. So I think you got, it's a medley. It's going to be, yeah, it's going to be, you make me want to, you don't have to call Confessions Part 2. That's it. He's got a lot of other stuff. Love in the Club. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. It's going to be really good. I, I'll, I think it'll be a good halftime show. It's never going to beat the titty, though. But that's just my <laughs> yeah. opinion. Whip, I, whip the titty out hard. Whip a titty out hard, baby. 
baby. And that's all that was going on. O2 April, dog. All right. Prince did a cover. He did Foo Fighters cover at halftime. Who would you say is the best that you've seen best ever Super Bowl halftime show? Prince. I would say Prince too. Prince was really good. By far. Yeah. They're usually pretty good. I mean, I can't really ever remember like an absolute stinker where I'm like, you know, I'm not great. Like Katy Perry's was entertaining because they had the sharks and stuff and Lady Gaga jumped off the stadium. I think, yeah, Gaga was cool. I think Dua Lipa would be pretty fucking cool doing a Super Bowl halftime show. I just, I get annoyed when you have to bring out, oh, it's the who, it's the rolling, it's you too. It's like nobody fucking cares anymore. Super Bowl halftime show is like a a delicate balance because there's really only so many candidates because it's got to be like a contemporary artist, but that has enough songs. You You got a catalog. Like like honestly, who the person singing America Beautiful this year could probably do the halftime show. It's Post Malone. Yeah. Like Post Malone probably probably has enough singles at this point to where they could do a post Malone halftime show, but post Malone kind of doesn't fit the criteria of halftime show is usually somebody who's like just on the other side of yeah. relevance. Like, cause Usher doing it now when it made more sense for Usher to do Super Bowl halftime show, maybe eight years ago yeah, or something. But I think in all honesty, the titty kind of derailed a lot of the Super Bowl halftime shows. The titty derailed a lot of things. But if you go back to like the COVID Super Bowl, yeah. the weekend, and got the COVID Super yeah. Bowl halftime spot. Fucking felt bad for the dude because yeah. it was a great performance. Yeah. I think he needs to have a redo. Do it a second time? There was hardly anybody in the crowd. I, I don't, like, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's always interesting, like, when they're like, who could it be? And, uh... Men at work. Yeah. <laughs> who could it be now? <laughs> Men at work. They're going to play their one song. <laughs> Time. Why don't you do a medley of one hit wonders? I love that idea. That'd be fucking awesome. Uh, so speaking of that, I've said it on this podcast before. Weird Al. Oh, that'd be great. Have Weird Al do a halftime show. It'd be super fun. It would be perfect. It'd be novelty. weird, but yeah, well, he's Weird Al. He's, he's literally weird. Come on. Okay, let's carry out the plot as God intended. You the agent in charge of the God's hand case? That's right. Where's the door? It's a picture of you and your mother, huh? I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't take things off of my desk. Sorry about that. Guess I've been in here a while. Already had a look at all your plaques and your citations. Didn't really care to have a look at those. So, what can I do for you, Mr. Meeks? Name's Fenton Meeks. Listen, this may sound a little bit crazy, but I know who the God's Hand Killer is. All right, I'll buy. Who? You hadn't even heard me out yet, and already you doubt me. Why is that? <laughs> because in a case like this, nobody just walks into the office and tells you who the killer is. It just doesn't happen that way. Sometimes truth defies reason, Agent Dole. Yeah? So who is it then? My brother. A dude named Fenton Meeks walks into an FBI office in Dallas and tells agent Wesley Doyle his brother Adam was a God's hand killer. Adam has committed suicide according to Fenton because of like the guilt I guess of living with. Yeah we get this we get the scene of him blowing his head off yeah. Yeah so Fenton upheld his childhood promise to bury Adam in the public rose garden in their hometown of Thurman Texas with the other victims of the God's hand killer. Adam If you ever destroy me, promise me you'll bury me here. Promise to God I'll bury you here. 
Fenton tells all of this to Doyle from the beginning. It started in 1979. Their single dad, who notice is never given a name. He's dad. He's just dad. Or father. He wakes them up in the middle of the night to tell them that he has been visited by an angel on behalf of God. God has selected them to destroy demons, which appear as people, but will be revealed when the dad touches them. The angel leads them to discover three tools needed for their mission. Gloves, a lead pipe, and an axe. So basically you whack them in the head with the pipe and then you wield the axe, but you have to take the gloves off in order to be for their demon sins to be revealed. Finally, he receives a list of names of the demons they are to destroy. I think it's the first seven names. God came to him earlier that day and told him that the time had come. After work, he drove down to Jacksonville, about 45 minutes or so southwest of Thurman. He said he'd never been there before, but he had no problem finding it. God was leading him. Dad brings home the first demon, removes the gloves, claims to see a vision of her doing demon shit. He kills her with the axe. The boys assist disposing of her body in the Rose Garden. Pretty straightforward. As families do. Exactly. They eat their dinner, their peas, they bury a body in the Rose Garden. Uh, Fenton thinks his dad has lost it. So as a child, he's like, dad's gone crazy. That he's an insane murderer. Adam claims to also see the visions that his father sees. Gotta be done a certain way. The angel was real specific. Why out here in the Rose Garden? God chose it, just like he chose us, I suppose. Don't cry for her, Fenton. She wasn't human. Didn't you see that when I touched her? I saw it, Dad. You killed her. I didn't kill her, son. I destroyed her. She was a demon. You know, I wasn't so sure I could do it myself. I mean, she looked like a woman to me, too. But after I touched her, all I could see was the evil, and I had to do it. I'm sorry you didn't see it, too. At the FBI, Doyle then drives Fenton to, because he's like, it's piqued his interest enough to where he's like, okay, we're going to get in the car. We're going to drive to the Thurman Rose Garden. Well, he Garden. tells him to handcuff himself, yeah, just he tells in him, case. Yeah, handcuff yourself. We're going to drive to the Thurman Rose Garden, where Fenton continues to tell a story. In their mission, so basically, Dad and the boys, they're getting divine intervention. The second victim is abducted, broad fucking daylight, at a grocery store in public. Dad claims that God would blind any witness. Dad prays to God to visit Fenton, who is gr- like Fenton's getting disgruntled. He's like, Dad's losing it. Dad's a murderer. You're going to run away. You're killing people. We're going to run away. Instead of visiting Fenton, the angel visits Dad and tells Dad that Fenton is a demon. Dad makes Fenton uh, dig a cellar. It's huge. Yeah, too. Like 10 feet deep by 15 feet wide. Yeah, it took him six days. Makes I him think. dig a cellar, which then he's locked in, deprived of food and water. During the third abduction, Fenton escapes the cellar, goes and gets the sheriff who doesn't believe him, but the sheriff being actually a good sheriff is like, you know what? I don't believe you, but I'm going to have a look around anyway. Let's go talk to your dad. But bad idea for the sheriff because dad kills him from behind with the ax. Dad's now pissed at Fenton that he had to kill an innocent man and not a demon. I never killed a man before tonight. I've seen you kill plenty. Those were demons. That was a man. Why can't you see that? You didn't have to kill. I had to protect our mission. There is no mission. That man is dead because of you. You see him, look at him. He's dead because you have no faith. Do you understand what you made me do? You made me commit murder. I didn't make you do anything. You did. You're crazy. Dad, no! Dad, don't! 
He locks Fenton in the cellar for over a week. Fenton claims to have had a vision, asks his father to participate in the destroying of the next demon. So after the abduction, Fenton is given the axe so he can carry out the job. Right at the moment, he like goes to swing. He swings the axe into his father's chest. It was a cool move. Did you see that coming? I had a feeling. Yeah, he swings. He gets him right in the chest. So then Fenton tries to free the man that they abducted, but Adam kills him with the axe. While burying the man in the Rose Garden, Fenton makes Adam a promise to bury him there if Adam ever destroys him. And I really think it's it, it's funny because Adam's demeanor is like, I swear to God I will. Yeah, he's like he's very excited. Yeah, he's like, like, all right, motherfucker. Here's twist one. Fenton reveals to Doyle that he's actually not Fenton. He's Adam. Adam killed Fenton, who had grown up to be the actual God's hand killer. After killing his father, Fenton became a legit serial killer. And a demon. And a demon. Twist two, Doyle, the FBI agent, killed his mother, his own mother, which is actually why Adam came to the FBI to lead him to the Rose Garden so that he could kill him and destroy him and bury him in the garden. After Doyle's disappearance, Agent Griffin Hall, who was there the night that Adam walked into the FBI station but can't remember his face, he visits Adam, who is a county sheriff, to tell him that Fenton was the killer. All of the FBI security tapes and footage from the night Adam was there obscures Adam's face. Adam tells Hall he's a good man after shaking his hand. Then Adam tells his wife, God's will has been done. Everything okay, Adam? Everything's just fine, Becky. God's will has been served. All right, characters. Bill Paxton as Dad Meeks. Matthew McConaughey as Adam Meeks. Powers Booth as Wesley Doyle, which I always thought was um, Edward James Olmos. Who, Powers Booth? Yeah. In this movie, I thought it was Edward Edward James James Olmos. Olmos. That makes sense. I get that. Powers Booth, dude. One of the best names. Oh, yeah, for sure. That fucking name's amazing. Matt O'Leary as young Fenton. Jeremy Sumter as young Adam, Fenton's brother. He's Gavin from Sasquatch Gang, which is the best movie, so he's forever okay with me. Uh, not really going to mention anyone else unless they come up. So which actor or actress gives a passable performance? Not a lot of performances in this one. No, it's minimal, but it's Matthew McConaughey. Oh yeah. Dude, he pulls off the switcheroo acting as Fenton then reveals Adam ever so casually. Yeah. Oh, by the way. Yeah. Cause he, he slips and he goes and, and Adam or and Fenton killed himself and he goes, wait a minute, how'd Fenton kill himself? Yeah. And he's like, Oh, I'm Adam. Exactly. McConaughey is so fucking good. But, and I was thinking this as we're getting towards the end of this movie, because it's on Tubi if you guys want to watch it. But what's crazy is I had a feeling near the end of this. I'm like, McConaughey sometimes plays these roles that are weird. And what did Tubi recommend after this one? Serenity. Oh, so I was like, perfect. Yeah. Serenity may come up later. These ones are so strange. The other day though, I watched something. I don't remember what it was. And I'm like, are these algorithms even trying anymore? They're just like suggesting the weirdest things. I don't know. I probably have Bill Patrick. Oh, he's because I know you texted me like early in this movie and you're like, kind of. I was 34 minutes in. You're like, kind of like, I don't know, Bill Paxton. I said, I have a hard time seeing B Pax as a heel. And you never did respond to me. What about Chet and Weird Science? I don't see him as a heel, though. You don't think Chet's a heel? He's a dick, but he's a prick older brother. Yeah. This is like full on heel until the reveal. I'm like, oh, he was a face the whole time. All right. Let's, uh, best scenes. So I have the first time we meet him, Dad Meeks. Whoa there, Tiger. Save some for us. I sure love peace. You must. You better be careful, though. You just might turn into one. <laughs> Say, how'd you do on that math test? Bring the past. Well, I was never any good at math either. Shoot, I still can't do anything without a calculator. Yeah, but there's going to be another test next week. That one's going to be even harder. Hey, 
Don't sound so glum. Tell you what, I'll sit down this weekend. We'll see if we can't figure out that junk together, okay? So Bill Paxton, he comes out of the gate looking like a real solid and understanding single dad. Cool no, dad. No explanation why he's a single dad, what happened to their mom. He cooked dinner. They're sitting down. They're happy. He's like, he's like, I'm going to help you with your homework. I'm like, man, this is a real solid, great dad. Got his shit together. The bonus is the kids are in, in bed talking about whether to see meatballs again. Fenton's like, I'm going to see the Warriors. Dude, that's my first scene. Talking yeah. about seeing meatballs again. Hey, Fenton. Can we go see meatballs at the school tomorrow? We've already seen it. I want to see it again. Nah, we're going to go see the Warriors. Can't. It's rated R. We'll sneak in. Teeth all brushed? You sure about that, Adam? All right. Breath test time. Four. Char. Today, I did brush them. I'm just yoking with you, Egghead. Don't worry, Fenton. I know you're too big for a good night kiss. Night, boys. Sleep tight. Don't let those bed bugs bite. That's right. Love you guys. Love you too, Dad. But then all of it's short-lived because we get one scene of, like, real solid father. And then Dad bursts in, wakes him up, and was like, I got to tell you about the vision I had from God. <laughs> and then the look on the look on child Fenton's face, like, yeah. oh, Dad, Jesus Christ. <laughs> Where an angel told him that they had a special purpose for his family, and they're basically superheroes called God's hands who must eradicate demons with magical weapons. Time. It's like, I love when they were just going on Fenn's face going, oh, God. He's like putting his hand to his head like the fucking opening credits from My Two Dads and Ball Riser. Like, what are we doing? Dad's been sniffing gasoline at work. It literally was an immediate, like, gut punch. I'm like, he's a cool fucking dad. Like, where is this movie going? Because I never saw it. I did not know where this movie was going. I'm like, what? what's the weird part? Yeah. Like, I'm thinking the whole time, McConaughey's just a weird dude. That's it. Not Bill Paxton, just his dad. Another thing, too, I noticed is the flashback scenes take place in 79. Yeah. It felt like I was in late 50s, not yeah. the 70s. Yeah. Which I'm like, there's not a lot of 79 analog here. But my first one by far is he throws Fenton down in the fucking dungeon and he's down there for a week. His brother, Adam, can only pour him water through a hole yeah. once a day, not allowed any food for a week. So fucking kid holds out. And then uh, finally, after a couple days, here comes B-Pax, opens it up. And what I love about it. The calendar mother cracks with light through the hatch door and Adam's visits with the water. I only slept when I passed out from exhaustion. What about your dad? Didn't he ever come back to at least check on you? On the seventh day. Has God spoken to you yet? There is no God. And he relocks the door and nails it back shut. It's such a good scene because he is so determined. And this is in my mindset. I'm like, man, fucking Paxton's full heel here. He's literally torturing his kid, depriving him of food. This kid's going to fucking die. And he finally comes out where the kid basically almost stops breathing. Yeah. He goes, yeah, I found God. I found God. Feed me, feed me, feed me. What a great fucking twist. That it's, was. it's funny, too, because not, well, not funny at all, but probably a pretty good basis of an explanation as to why Fenton became a 
serial killer. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like, uh, my dad locked me in a cellar two different times trying to force me to admit that God was making us kill Well, people. he psychologically broke him there, psychologically broke him with the fucking digging of the digging hole. Digging it, yeah. He did not want to take pain meds. He's like, I know you hate me, but take it for the pain. Didn't want to wear gloves. I kept at it morning, noon, and night for five days. And by the sixth day, that hole was as dark and deep as my hatred for dad's God. Well, you finished it all right. But you didn't pray once the whole time, did you? Nope. Yeah. It's like, yeah. <laughs> First off, I'd be pissed if my father called me Fenton. Ben Fenton Meeks? Right off the bat, you sound like a serial killer. And if not, you're going to be on oh, Unsolved Mysteries. Per yeah. That's a perfect serial killer uh, name. So there's a genius shot in this movie that I love. So dad's at work. I, this might be the next day after he oh, has so the with first the sparks? Mission. Yeah. Oh, it's a great so shot. For whatever reason, they're they're in the, the worst mechanic shop ever. Because while Very he's bad. under a car yeah. working on something, there's just like welding sparks shooting into his face. But he's under a car with a wrench. And as he looks up into the darkness of the car this angel you know like descends yeah. towards him but the funniest part is they zoom out and show this wide shot and he's just frozen there so we just see like a two second shot of him just like thousand yard stare oh, into yeah. the car but this is where they get the first seven names that they are to destroy so my last one by far and it's just an amalgamation it's the three mindfuck twists where oh yeah he reveals himself to be adam i don't get it he promised you that he'd bury you here. Yeah. If he killed you. No, not killed. Destroyed. Don't make any sense. Yes, it does. If the man standing in front of you is Adam Meeks. So you killed all those people. No, no, I told you before, I've never killed anyone in my life. Fenton was a killer. Just stop the bullshit and tell me the truth. You'll understand, son. Just let me show you where I buried Fenton. Then you find out Powers Booth is a piece of shit who stabbed his mom. How did you know? You were on the list. You didn't think anybody knew about that, did you? God knew. And then you find out that, oh my God, the whole time Fenton was the serial killer. Yeah. He's the God hand killer. Yeah. Adam's a sheriff. Yeah. Of Meat, Texas. <laughs> meat, M E A T, Meat, Texas. I don't think there's a Meat, there's Texas. There's not. It's fictional, but it would be great. It, yeah. And, uh, two places could have a Meat Meat, Texas, Meat, Alaska. Yeah. I think those that, are the two states that could have a Meat. No, I think three. Meat, Montana, because then you could have Big Montana. Big Montana. I have, so just quickly, Fenton's friend at the basketball court saying he'd do anything to see Daisy Duke's tits. You say Duke's has his last night. Remember one day's date been over. I like Boss Hog. He's funny. <laughs> Man, I do anything to really see her tits. <laughs> oh, you said Shut up. <laughs> Yeah, that kid's great because Adam's like trying to like butt in on their conversation. This is Fenton trying to ignore the dysfunction. They had a good life. Had a great life. And then all of a sudden, Dad went cuckoo for and, Cocoa Puffs. And, and Fenton's just trying to like have a normal life because uh, like a month goes by or something where there's they like slay the first demon and then a month goes by and it's just normal. It's normal. And like, the, hey, Dad got this out of yeah. his system. He killed a guy. 
That's fine. I'm going to forgive him. It's shit happens. Just one lady. Shit happens. One lady. Nobody liked her. What was she? A nurse? Was she a hooker? Nobody knows. Who cares? I will mention. So dad's axe, God's chosen weapon has Otis carved into the handle. There's an interesting story behind Otis. The axe theory online has always been that Otis O T I S stands for only the innocent survive. That's cool. But it's not that deep. Bill Paxton was trying to give some money to a homeless man he meant. The homeless guy said, I don't want your charity. I don't want any money. So Bill Paxton made him keep the money and was like, I'm making a movie. Can I buy your name from you to use in the movie? And he's like, what's your name? And the guy's like, Otis. And so he used the guy's name and just put Otis on the axe handle. And to me, that tracks because Otis sounds a lot more like an unhoused person than like a Fortune 500 CEO. Most famous Otis, probably what? Otis Redding? Yeah. Wait till Otis sees us. He loved us. But I'm like, you don't see WWE Otis. Yeah. WWE Otis. You don't see a lot of like Otis Spunkmeyer, the cookie guy. No, but I'm like, you don't see a lot of like, I'm a successful lawyer named Otis. I do like the fact that not even the kids went, dad, why does it say Otis on the axe That scene is great though. When he's driving through like the country and he just sees this perfect beam of sunshine. He just walks into some stranger's barn. Yeah. And there's just an axe and a pair of gloves, like sitting on a tree stomp but he takes it yeah why not but you have to assume that he was protected by the the, the, sh- the shroud of god the shroud of god we'll get into that a little bit later but first so speaking of otis redding and music why don't we no pool in this one it would have been a lot cooler if dad would have made fenton dig a pool it'd be a lot cooler if you did <laughs> instead of digging I need a- 10 by 15 i'm hot I want when I kill demons, I need to cool down. Guess what, kids? It's time for demon pool check. We don't have a diving board. We got a demon board. <laughs> so in 2001, Apple released the iTunes media player. Rest in peace because a groundbreaking thing at the time. Oh, God, was it? Man. I mean, now it doesn't seem like it. But for people who were there when it first it was introduced in 2001. Amazing. iTunes was awesome. So we're going to talk about the songs that may have been on your iTunes. Not only are we doing the best songs from 2001, we're going to do the worst songs from 2001. Yeah, the bangers and the clangers. The bangers and the men. Uh, we're yeah. going to start with best. Jim, why don't you kick us off with your number five? Okay, Kevin. So I'm going to do six. It's our podcast. We changed the rules. We're taking over NWO. Best song, number six, Crazy Town Butterfly. Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly. Sugar, Come, my lady. Come, come, my lady. You're my butterfly. Sugar, Say what you want. It's catchy. You fuckers know you listened to it. You know you liked it. It was an easy thing to target. So Crazy Town, if I remember correctly, this being 22, 23 years ago, Crazy Town had released some other songs prior to Butterfly. Yeah, they did. And people of that culture were into Crazy Town and thought they were cool. When Butterfly came out. Sell out! Exactly right. People, shell people who liked Crazy Town no longer liked Crazy Town, but Crazy Town, I'm sure, was happy with the trade-off because they tapped very much into the mainstream. Oh, 
did they? And in the movie, in the movie Orange County, which is Colin Hanks, Jack Black, it's a fun movie. All the girls at school always go ape shit every time that song comes on. It's kind of funny because that's that's what happened. Like it went from being like you know almost like punk culture dudes, and then yeah, cheerleaders listening to it. Uh, My number five, City High. What would you do? great song. I'm cheating because the song was actually recorded in 99 for the Life soundtrack, but then became their self, their debut single from their self-titled debut album. I guess it's a motivational anthem, but the whole reason I picked it is because I saw someone shared a TikTok where someone, but by someone I mean a genius, made like, you remember like the WWJD bracelets? Oh god yeah. With the first letter, you know, what would Jesus do? Well they made a bracelet with the first letter of the chorus so it was like WWYDIYSAH C-A-A-O-T-B-F-C-H-H and so on and the entire chorus and the bracelet was like nine feet long. That's awesome. Because this chorus really like drags on which I don't know if you'll play a clip but it's gonna be like it's just. It's a great song. It's awesome. So my number five is one that's near and dear to my heart. I can remember watching the music video on the box seventh period Mr. Eshman psychology class my senior high school. It is. No it's not my senior high school. Whatever. It's Evan and Jaren crazy for this girl. Two thousand one. Two thousand one, which is nuts because there is the original studio release of the video, and then there is the video release with Dawson's Creek footage in it, which pops me every time. Someone who's not a fan of Evan and Jaren, Dr. Mangala. <laughs> I would hope. I don't think the Mangies really liked Evan and Jaren at all. He wanted to dissect those twins. There is a video, which is really cool. This happened, oh, fuck, 10 years ago, 10 years, 15 years ago. Evan and Jaren just randomly showed up at a karaoke joint. Oh, cool. With guitars and played Crazy for This Girl. I think only two people realized that that's who they are. And the rest of the bartender, I think it looked like it was at the lube. Hmm. They didn't realize How that. many songs off the top of your head can you think of that are by <laughs> twins? I think it said Evan and Jaren won. Crazy for this girl. Evan and Jaren, Proclaimers. Is that it? Fuck. There's got to be more, but all, the only ones I can think of off the top of my head. Oh, uh, B4-4. There's two twins. Oh, in that's that right. Group. You're right. That was twins. There's so, three. I, I don't know. Tell us. Uh, your this is going to drive me Favorite nuts. songs by twins. Yeah, we're going to miss. We're Extreme kind of you thought were twins when uh, More Than Words came out. But no. Oh, yeah. Nuno and, uh, yeah. Not twins. Gary. <laughs> Nuno and Gary. <laughs> Nuno and Gary. <laughs> we're New Jersey's top <laughs> hot radio station. We're Nuno and Gary. Uh, I'm very much not a fan of JLo as a musician historically, but her and Ja Rule rocked the shit on I'm Real. Murder 
Frank remix or whatever it was called. Who didn't Ja Rule fucking I sing know. with? But what a great like windows down spring type of song. Five weeks on top of Billboard 100 replacing Alicia Keys Fallen to get there. I, I don't very much care for Jay. Did she do a Super Bowl halftime show? I feel like she should have. If she didn't, yeah, she would be in the mix. It was the moment in time. I don't know what it is about J-Lo. Perfectly fine as a fly girl. From what I hear, fine in rom-coms. I can't think of a performance off the top of my head. Great money train. But uh, yeah, something about her music. I just was never... You weren't a big fan of her in The Cell, the movie? Yeah, Cell's all right. The Cell. Cell. <laughs> Shout out Ethan Pacman Taylor. So my number four, I mean, for God's sakes, if if you don't include this on your list as a best, you got a problem. It's outcast Miss Jackson. Yeah. I'm sorry, Miss Jackson. Ooh, I am for real. Never meant to make your daughter cry. I apologize a trillion times. Come on. Everybody knows Speaker the words of this song. Below. Great double Came album. Yep. Great, man. And around that time that uh, Outcast, you know, they had Roses. They had Miss Jackson. Well, this was the second release because before they had AT Aliens. Yeah. Bombs Over Baghdad. Bombs Over Baghdad is fantastic. I used to try and learn that song. I can never do it. Good luck. Yeah. My number three, Christian infused testosterone, Creed, my sacrifice. Creed was Nickelback uh, before Nickelback, although Nickelback could never hold a candle to Creed. And they're back. And they're, yes, they're having this resurgence now. You had higher with arms wide open, one last breath, my sacrifice. They've aged like fine wine. Stapp, be- Scott Stapp, the singer of Creed, he became an alcoholic pill abuser after he injured his spine in a car accident. That was pretty much the end for Creed, but I'm curious as to like the what if. Because I always said like, what if Kurt Cobain didn't kill himself? My theory is Nirvana would have kind of... Evolved. They would have become more of like a mainstream rock band. They would have became Foo Fighters. Yes. And, but like Creed, I, I don't know. I, I mean, because Nickelback literally like took the mantle from Creed. Then there's no Nickelback. Nickelback stays Canada centric. Oh, Scott Stapp doesn't get in a car accident. We never see that horse mane on. Think Jack about it Kroger. though. Creed goes away. The three members of Creed form Alter Bridge with the guy Miles Kennedy, who was in Rockstar yeah. with. Hey Mark guys, Mark. how's it going? Mm-hmm. And Edge would have kept his "You Think You Know Me" theme song. There you go. So my number three, once again, somebody we've never heard of before. We get think DMX and the Rough Riders. It's Eve featuring Gwen Stefani with let me blow your just that little just boom boom Like a Timberland Eve almost had a couple joint. in 2001. Oh, Eve yeah. Was, was big at that time. Yeah, the Rough Riders, baby. Yeah, so are the Rough Riders. Yeah. My number two, this is going to be a long one. So you mentioned it up top. Puddle of Mud Blurry. So... We 
talk about this era a lot because I was in high school. I was like junior, senior year. You were like fresh I, out of high school. I just graduated. And like, and we've never dove into Puddle of Mud much. So it's fascinating well, backstory. I've, well, that's a good thing. Well, first, Mud is spelled with two Ds like the tween girls jeans brand. Well, I never understood why it was Puddle of Mud with two Ds. But the band was actually formed all the way back in 1992. They played shows through the end of the 90s when singer Wes Scantlin, he managed to get a demo tape to Fred Durst at the 1999 Family Values Tour. And on the Family Values Tour, came through town. Somehow he gets a demo tape in his hand. And this is like the thing dreams are made out of, right? Because that's like a one in a million thing people dream of. Like, I'm going to get, I gave Matt Hardy a tape of me backyard wrestling. Yeah. And like you give people these things because you have dreams. And, but in Wes Scantlin's case, Fred Durst listened to the demo, signed Puddle of Mud to his record label, which there was one problem when, when it came to, I think it was Fearless Records. The record label didn't like Wes's bandmates. So they fired every single band member except for Wes. So then they were replaced with a few Scott Wolfman Pels. <laughs> Great a, reference. AKA musicians Scantlin had never heard or met before. Studio music. Musicians. Studio musician. So he was flown out to LA to record with them where a song called Electron Moon was reworked into Blurry. When asked what it was, this is kind of sad. When asked what the song was about, Scantlin told American songwriter, Blurry was basically about being flown to freaking Los Angeles. And you know, I didn't have any friends. So they put me in a hotel room. I didn't know anybody at all. And I was just missing my family and my son. I missed my grandma and stuff. God damn. So it might be the best song about missing your grandma. Yikes. So next time you you listen to blurry Fuck. just imagine it's about his grandma that's insane dude isn't that crazy they flew him to la and we're like record an album and they're like here's four scott wolfman pals yeah do you guys uh am i gonna meet these guys anytime soon no hang out with them which it, and it's funny I, I didn't know that and west scantlin's had some issues on stage with his band members and stuff over the last i don't know several years because he didn't fucking know he probably doesn't know any of them he's probably because once puddle mud had their moment do you think he like went back to the original band members that were well, it's fired? Like, it's like that scene from Rockstar when you have Timothy Oliphant yeah. and the rest of them while you know who ended up going to the top of the pops. Mm -hmm. So my number two was the song by a band that came out of fucking nowhere that was like almost number one, two times, three times every hour airplay. It was either rock stations or just pop stations. Lifehouse hanging by a moment. Yeah. You could not fucking fall and not hit water when it came to this. Oh, this yeah. fucking song was awesome. These guys were great. I even appreciate their second album. I think, you know, they ended up having the, the you and me song. That song ended up, I played in numerous weddings as a first dance, but goddamn, hanging by a moment. That was almost, I wouldn't say on the level, it could have been a Mr. Brightside yeah, moment. I, I think, I mean, I, I do think, and I think on, on Billboard and like looking back, I literally think it was the number one song of the year. Yeah. But I didn't put it on my list, but I'm like, it's hard not to put it on your list because like if we were doing definitive 2001, it's on, it's the, it's, it's the first thing one. you write down. It's number one. My number one Deftones digital bath.
a pretty song, like a pretty melodic song about electrocuting a girl in a bathtub. Deftones grew so much on the White Pony album, their third album. When Chino starts to hit like the higher singing notes in the bridge on this one, we had not heard that from Deftones before. There is a music video for this one. They performed this on Jay Leno in 2001. I watched it on YouTube, but I could only find it like starting at the performance. I couldn't find a clip of Jay Leno introducing the Deftones, but it's very funny in my head to imagine Jay Leno, you know, doing the whole Jay Leno shtick. Yeah, introducing the Deftones. Okay, so uh, I don't want to give away too much because I'm going to do some honorable mentions for best before we get well, to worst. I, I didn't do my number one. Oh, I'm sorry. Remember, I, I did six. Oh, yeah, that's right. Okay. So my number one, I am throwing it out there to a band that most people never heard of. So it's kind of under the radar. This band based out of Fort Worth, Texas is considered a power pop band for a little background. Their album that was released in 99, they were signed to RCA and literally dropped two weeks later, literally dropped the band two weeks later. The name of the song is hello. The name of the group is sugar bomb. When you hear this song, it, we're in American Pie era, you know, huh. American I, Pie. I can't place the song in my Post-teens. After you hear this post edit, you definitely will be like, oh, that song. I think it's one of the best. If you want a power pop rock song, one of the best of the the aughts, the 2000s. I listen to it quite a bit. The band should reach out to me as for as much as I played on Spotify. Their stream count goes way up. But hello, Sugar Bomb. Okay. N- couldn't place it. I can't wait to hear what it is. Some honorable mentions for best before we get the worst and it's going to be funny if any of the honorable mentions I say <laughs> end up on your worst because this first one might and some people I'm sure would put it on their, their worst Afro Man because I got high Incubus Drive The Avalanche's Frontier Psychiatrist because that's a song made entirely of samples it's awesome it's like a timeless song you'd never know it's 2001 Eve 6 Here's to the Night Alien Ant Farm had Smooth Criminal and Movies Andrew WK Party Hard Insync Gone which is kind of like a forgotten Insync song Weezer Island in the Sun that song was everywhere Weedest Teenage Dirtbag, System of Down Chop Suey, Jimmy Eat World, The Middle, 112 Peaches and Cream. I'm actually pissed that I did not, I forgot about Teenage Dirtbag. Yeah. And every song you just mentioned, not on my worst okay. list. I, I, I mean, yeah. I figured they weren't because if I, if I knew of something I thought would definitely be on your list, I probably wouldn't have mentioned it. This is the worst. <laughs> For worse songs, I, I'm just going to preface by saying there's a lot of bad covers in 2001. Dog and, shit. And my list is going to be a lot of those. But first, since your pick was last, I'm going to go and say my number five, U2 Elevation. So, Oh, what a pile of junk. There's a guy at my work who really loves U2. There was a guy at my old job who really loved U2. Both of those guys have spent tons of money traveling multiple times, seeing U2 play big shows or festivals or whatever. Anytime some Somebody tells me that they enjoy you too. I hear this song and I hear specifically a mole digging in a hole, digging up my soul, now going down excavation. Like 
Which are lyrics in this song? How bad? People fucking knew. Apple knew. Everybody hated you two and they forced it upon us. Yeah. A mole digging in a hole, digging up my soul. Now going down <laughs> excavation. Elevation. Yeah, that's a that's a real lyric. And I, I bet song. those people you worked with could only name two members of you two. Botto in the edge. I, I hope. <laughs> I mean, you know what I mean? Like, because to me, it is sad to really like you two to that amount because you two, I think, had a great maybe album or two. The Joshua Tree. And then what did like discotheque happen? God. Don't you remember that fucking yes. song? It's like, what is happening uh, now? You two all of a sudden trans fucking formed and time traveled in 1976. Uh, so my first bad one, I'm sorry. I, I hate this band. It sounds like every fucking song that came out at the time. It's fuel hemorrhage in my hands. You don't like fuel. Don't like fuel. Really? I do not like fuel. It's just the same recycled shit over and over. And I know everybody call me a hypocrite. There's a lot of shit. I like I that. Mean, I get a lot of shit of for. mud and fuel are a little bit interchangeable, but God Fuck off. I don't mind fuel. I hate them. Bad day. I like Nickelback uh, more than I like fuel. No, really? Yeah. Wow. I think older I've gotten, we've talked about this multiple times on this podcast. It was chic and trendy to shit on Nickelback left, right, and center just because it was the easiest thing to do. Some of their shit ain't that bad. No, I've I've come around on Creed as we just discussed five minutes ago. I never left Creed. I never, I I never moved no Nickelback. For, I, I, again, I, I don't think, and I've talked about this on here before, I don't think Nickelback, it's fair the amount of hate they get yeah but because there's way worse stuff than than nickelback but one of the best wwe raw opening theme songs burning down the house just saying nickelback talking hands uh <laughs> that would have been an interesting one my number four i might get some hate for but i just i could never ever stand this song I can't stand the dancing in the video in the wigs mary j blige family affair don't was on the top of the Billboard 100 for six weeks. Iteration. Despite being written and produced by Dr. Dre. Always hated it. I can understand why people like it, which they obviously did. I think the made up words are dumb. It's like playeration, dancery, hateration. hateration. I guess Complication. I, I'm full of hateration. I'm a hater with this one. I, <laughs> I just, it's, it's nails on a chalkboard to me a little bit. So I got one here because I paired this with Let Me Blow Your Mind is one of my best. I'm pairing this with another Gwen Stefani song. I fucking hate it. Sounds horrible. It's her and Moby doing Southside. Oh, okay. That song. I thought you were going, no doubt. Hey, baby. No, that, that song sucks but it's yeah. it's not a hatred song but it's Moby putting in a minimalistic remember this. effort this was MTV2 the oh. box sort of staple it's so bad because Moby's not even singing he just yeah. feels like he's there and Moby's weird to begin with. Like, what fucking age was he at the time? Was he fucking 21 or was he 81? I don't know. I don't know. It's it was gross. weird. It didn't make sense. Yeah. My number three, another nails on a chalkboard one. Pink, get the party started. I hate this one, like, in my bones. <laughs> 
because like <laughs> listen to it with headphones. There's just too much going on with production. Yeah. Just too much. There's like constant drum loops and sound effects and vocal effects. And like, I just, it gives me like an anxiety attack to hear this song. I don't, I'm not a fan. I don't hate pink otherwise. Yeah. Just this song. I get despise it. it. My next one, uh, this song, I would hear fucking on the radio at Max and Irma's flipping burgers. And I'd always modify it. It's Leanne Womack with I Hope, I you, hope dance. you Dance. I hope you dance. To me, I, and this is no bullshit. I'm not making this up. I initially thought this song was called I Hope You Die. <laughs> I hope you die. Which I thought was way better. <laughs> but oh my God. When I heard it was I Hope You Dance. Fuck off. I would add more respect if it was I Hope You, you know, Die. You know what the worst second life of this was is that it was used on every inspirational video forever. Yeah. It was like, I'm all for people in wheelchairs walking, but there'd be like a video of someone in a wheelchair like standing up and walking. But when it sounds like I Hope You Die, yeah. makes more sense. Uh, so my number two, Uncle Cracker, Follow Me. Oh, I hate the song. How did anyone notice or not notice that Uncle Cracker cannot sing? No. Follow me, everything is all right. He can't sing at all. It's like a, it is a four minute monotone nasal like pile of shit. Is he trying to do, he's starting to, he was trying to do like a country twang. Yes. He was Kid Rock's turntablist. Why in the actual fuck would we be like, hey, that guy, that fat guy. Who does the turntables for Kid Rock? Yeah. We want this guy to sing. And now this song, I guarantee it's probably big with the Trump is still the real president crowd. Oh, God. That's yeah. like, that's the Uncle Cr- Cracker. It's, it's a J6 theme song. Yes. Yes. Follow me and everything. Uh, awful. Fuck off, Uncle Cracker. So my number two, listen, this guy's been on the Stern show and he's such a good interview. I hate it. The fact that I got to insult his band, but every fucking time I hear drop of Jupiter yep. or anything train related. Yep. I want to throw myself in front of a train. Train's a little bit of a fungus, right? It is. They're like the guys who are like, I can't believe our 15 minutes of fame aren't done. Now that she's back in the atmosphere with drops of Jupiter in her head. And then later in my DJ life they came out with the marry song marry me marry me and then play that song play they sampled heart and soul the piano riff I don't know play that song you wanna play in it oh it's like listen I don't know that Pat Monahan great voice well horrible band I definitely think this song would be on most people's lists I absolutely this was the first song I thought of but this specific song drops a Jupiter because like what the fuck's it about yeah the, it came to him in a dream and it's about his mom who died of cancer so I will leave it alone. But like, what the fuck? Is- but what's a drop of Jupiter? First of all, you don't yeah. want any drops of Jupiter on you. Okay. She's taking a soul vacation. <laughs> I would appreciate it. This song was called Soul Vacation. Well, they had the Hey Soul Sister song. Oh. Play that Mr. Mr. on the radio. Like, stereo. What is the genre of this band? I don't know what it is. I don't know. They're not a rock these, band. These are those bands that they sell a ton of records and you're like, to who? 43 year old people to who, who that's it who, single moms with nine buy, kids uh, who who who's funding these people <laughs> i just got you're, you're you're funding terrorism i lost my job 
job as a stripper on Mondays. That's who it's catered to. Uh, my number one, you guys may have heard, you might be aware, I'm not much of a Billy Joel fan. No! Westlife Uptown Girl. So oh. Irish boy band did a cover of Uptown Girl. Don't. It has absolutely no emotion, no feeling. It's insanely overproduced. It literally almost sounds like an AI cover because it is like... It's the farthest thing from doo-wop Joel. Yes. Like, I want some junk. I want it to be a little bit raw. Give me the Billy Joel version 10 out of 10 times over this Westlife. The Westlife version is... It's like Simon Cowell got his hands on it. Yes. It's like every note is auto-tuned and overproduced and everything is like clean. It's just nice. Nightmarish. There's no. nothing fun about it. It's like a it's a sterile clinical version of Uptown Girl. It's truly terrible. It's bad. So my last one, my number one. When I heard this song for the first time, I literally wanted to question everything about life. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with my life. I didn't know what I needed to do after I heard this song. But god damn it, when my girlfriend at the time put on Moulin Rouge and I heard Lady uh, Marmalade. Or Marmalade, whatever the fuck you want to call it, with Christina, Little Kim, who else was in it? I don't. Pink was in it. Maya. Maya. Why? I just uh, when Christina Aguilera hits that high note, I literally want to jump in front of Pat Monahan's train and jump in front of another train. Because it's annoying. Listen, I didn't like the first Lady Marmalade. This song made it worse. And then having to sit through Moulin Rouge and then hear it. Yeah, fuck. The thing about if you've seen Moulin Rouge, this song in no way, shape or form really resembles the tone or feeling of that movie. It sucks. I don't care. The movie sucked. This sucked. The suckability factor is a 12 on it. It's bad. I like the movie, but I like Baz Luhrmann. And you know, something I didn't know about Baz Luhrmann is I think it was Natalie Portman was actually cast in um, Romeo and Juliet. Really? In 96? Um, Baz Luhrmann, but she was considered to be a little too young, so I think she dropped out. We just watched May, December, Okay, which is kind of bonkers, and I was reading, a, I was going a deep dive on Natalie Portman. So honorable mentions, this was the year that the Spice Girls all released like solo stuff. Jerry Hallowell's, uh, or Halloway? Yeah, uh, Hallowell, Hallowell. Jerry Hallowell, her, uh, her contribution was a cover of It's Raining Men. Oh, God. It's not really like offensive it's kind of just like a straight it, it's very much like something you'd see in like a, a gay bar or drag bar okay it's copy like, paste but with more beats and yeah bass. yes exactly yeah i pretty much had everything we mentioned no doubt hey baby i mentioned uh, just song they went with this whole like jamaican dance hall vibe and yeah. it's like no doubt used to be like a ska band you that, know their like, first album is nothing speak but ska. And stuff like i mean and then hey baby's like Ugh, what was gwen stefani doing finally last one i'll mention smash mouth i'm a believer. So the original by the monkeys written by Neil Diamond, at least this song has the excuse of being recorded for a kid's animated movie. So unlike a couple of the other covers we mentioned, it's an excuse. They were like, Hey, you want to record the song for the Shrek soundtrack? And they were like, sure. That Westlife Billy Joel cover is just devoid <laughs> of like, Oh my, it's so bad. And I know you brought up JLo on your best for Unreal. Yeah. She came out a song called play. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, come on DJ play that swarm. They, she's a swong. She, 
She had like, swung. J-Lo had like five or six singles in 2001. She had five or six singles. Three were good. Two were dog shit. And then my other honorable mention is Dido's Thank You. Oh, yeah. Fuck. So I've never done a deep dive. How did Eminem end up with the Dido with Stan? chorus on Stan? I don't know. Did he hear Dido's Is It Thank You? Yeah. And he was like, I got this idea. At the time, I guarantee you, Cal, Eminem was wired at that time. There was no way Eminem would ever be caught dead or saying he listened to Dido's thank you in actuality he probably did like Dido and said you know what I can do something well, I with thought this. maybe it was like a, a producer or like a record label yeah who like maybe were like maybe try this or something I'd be good for Dido because I think she like you know pumped out a few singles off the back <laughs> of Stan Kevin I'm going to divulge something here on this. Oh no. Speaking of the word pumping out. So the, my w- clear hatred for this song is in one of my former relationships when I was younger, my first relationship, when stuff was going to happen of an adult nature, Dido would be put on. Oh. So when she made her walk over to her, her hope chest and pulled out a teddy bear shaped bottle of lotion, I know the Dido's thank you would be playing as I'm getting a tug job. And I fucking hate Dido. Because oh, the sheer disappointment that, that would occur. That, I'm sorry, Jim, but that whole scene you just described, <laughs> it's like something out of frailty. It's like, it's like I'm going to get a, a lotion teddy bear out of my hope chest. And I'm going to give you a Dido hand job. Like, uh, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for your innocence. Oh, oh. <laughs> I saw so today I saw in a targeted ad they make this blanket it's like a, a comforter that's like impervious to and they're like wait a minute yes there it's no matter how much how wet it gets or anything it will not go through so it's a cum stain it's proof. a cum it's a cum proof blanket and they show like <laughs> ropes but it's not like the ad Peter North. the ad shows like ropes like shooting onto the thing and but somebody was like how do I buy this for my wife for Valentine's Day like how do I oh getting the blanket out you know what's about to go down it's time to shoot ropes got my uh, teddy bear lotion uh, um, all right let's uh we went through the good the bad all of these no doubt would be playing at poolside let's get back in the pool everybody make sure you jump in the pool because it's time for me to tell you that my real name's adam when's dad coming home i don't know think he's destroying a demon so make believe adam no it's not it's true listen to me none of that demon junk is real daddy he just made it up Oh, he did. He did too. Just like Santa Claus. You remember last Christmas when you caught Dad putting all presents under the tree, don't you? It's just like that. Adam, have I ever lied to you? All right, look. Dad made up this whole thing. Those names on Dad's list are real people. Do you understand? But why would he make it up? I don't know. But I think we should leave. You mean run away? Will you go with me? Only for a little while. I don't want to leave Dad. Neither do I. But we might have to. Why? Dad's gonna kill somebody. <laughs> 
This is a critical question. This is a pretty good movie, but the big twist is the unreliable narrator. So we have Adam telling the audience the whole story as though he's Fenton, but there's actually like three or four consecutive twists along with Doyle being a demon and Adam being the sheriff. Jim, did you like the twist or no? Any great twists or bad twists? Like what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Well, I love the twists. I think you would thought that I would not have liked this movie because I think when I initially texted you, you probably thought, "Uh oh, he's not going to like this movie at all. I had an inkling that McConaughey was going to do something weird. I didn't know it was going to go there. Then to reveal that Powers Booth was a fucking stabbed his mom. Like, yeah. I love the fact initially when they're sitting in his office and he goes, he keeps talking about the picture of his mom. Yeah. Just, you just have one picture of your mom. And boy, foreshadowing. When you think of twists, like, Jesus Christ, I really got to think of some good movie twists that come out of so nowhere. So we have, we covered it, Serenity. Oh, yeah, Serenity. Oh, Jesus. McConaughey movie. It's a video game. The whole movie's a video game. Yeah. Ridiculous. The first one I thought of, and I was actually thinking about it recently, so stupid. Joel Schumacher with Jim Carrey, the number 23. So this dude gets a book on numerology, becomes absolutely obsessed with numerology, loses his mind over it, the, specifically the number 23. In the end, it's revealed that all of this is self-inflicted because he's a murderer who like led himself down the path and it's very much like a shitty knockoff of like memento christopher nolan's memento but it's just it's so stupid so i just it popped into my head one of my favorite movies I love is LA Confidential. Yeah. Kind of ruins it when you find out how fucking creepy Kevin Spacey yeah. was on the set. But near the end of that movie, spoiler alert, it's Guy Pierce's character creates this template of a character in his mind called, he calls a bad guy Rolo Tomasi. Yeah. It comes from when he was a kid. He was, it's been a long time since I've watched a movie, but his dad was abusive and he was like, Rolo Tomasi. And then when you find out that Jack Vincennes, unfortunately Kevin Spacey, encounters the Rolo Tomasi, you find out it's their sergeant yeah. who was the one that's been killing everybody with Mickey Cohen's help. That was a fucking twist. Yeah. I'm like, no, I did that's not see James Cromwell. Movie. Oh yeah, it's really good. When you said earlier, when you said that uh, B packs, you know, makes them dig the cellar and stuff. I'm like, I guess it's better than K packs. Oh, I bought that fucking Why? movie. Listen, there was a period of time in my life. This is before we knew Kevin Spacey was a fucking piece of shit. I would get obsessed with one actor, and I would just buy their entire catalog. What K packs? I watched it only one time. Okay, and then I turned. I think I ended up uh, selling it to CD Warehouse and getting 50 cents. Yeah, better than better than owning it. Yeah, no shit. All right, let's, uh, someone, I mean, he could have definitely contributed as the God's hand killer, David McCall. Hey, everybody, it's me again, Mark, but let me tell you real quickly, I got very excited when I was in this movie, okay? Why? No. Oh, wait, Donnie, what are you saying? I wasn't in, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot I wasn't in this movie. I was supposed to be in this movie, okay? They called me God hand when I was with my, I had a girlfriend, her name was Melissa, shout out to Melissa, how you doing, okay? When the one time she called me, hey, they called me God, God hand Wahlberg when I played high school basketball with my brother Donnie, in case you didn't know who he was. He was on New Kids on the Block, okay? But in this movie, the reveal was going to be that I'm the God hand killer, but the good thing about me is I'm actually an agent of God, because if you join Mark Wahlberg's show, I can tell you. It all could have been different, Mr. Walker. You should have allowed nature to take its course. God damn it. So, <laughs> I mean, it's all real. Yeah. Dad and Adam were actually seeing visions, and they got divine intervention to keep them from getting caught or questioned. Yeah. They actually were destroying them. They it's were the baby face. Such a weird point of view for that movie to take, because that's almost a twist in and of itself, because you're like, these are nut jobs who are like killing in the name of God. Yeah. But in the end, they're like, this movie's like, no, God's real, and he's protecting them. Well, it's the fact that they ham it up more that he puts his hand on their 
head to confirm that they're demons. Yeah. It made me, I don't know if you ever saw Steve Martin in Leap of Faith. Yeah. That's what I mean. Cause he would hold her head yeah. and do the whole thing. So originally Paxton showed the visions early in the movie. Okay. The, so like right off the bat, like when they would abduct somebody and, and touch them, but he went back and he was like, you know what? Let's take that out. So the first couple abductions you see, he touches them and does the whole gimmick. But actually we, the audience don't know if he's just acting or actually seeing something. I can't remember, but in this movie, aren't majority of the demons, they're kind of local to the area. They're within driving I don't, distance. I don't know. Cause the first, I think it's the first one. They say like he stayed gone all day. Okay. So I, I really don't know, but you don't ever hear like anybody reported missing. The right around on that is that they're being protected by God. You know, he's cause they abduct that one dude in the parking lot of grocery store, but it's like, God will protect us. No witnesses can see. And I'm like, that one's a little far fetched because you're like, they hit a guy with a pipe in a parking lot of a grocery store. Yeah. God didn't throw a flashbang from yeah, heaven. Yeah. Right. And like, do people also not hear it all? Like they don't see yeah. them putting something in a trunk. Like, I don't know. It's a little far fetched when the father and sons quote, destroy demons. There's no blood. So they dig the holes. You never see any blood. They, they hit people with a pipe. They stab people with an ax, no blood, not on their weapons, not on their clothes, no spatter. When they dig graves again, dirty, no blood. But when the dad is forced to kill the sheriff because Fenton went and got the sheriff blood everywhere, a very big spray. So that's murder. That's not demon destroying. That's like a clue. The weird one is when they go to Fenton's house and they find, because Adam has framed Fenton. No, he, I guess technically didn't frame him. Fenton actually was the God's hand killer, but he frames him for the death of Doyle. When they find Doyle's badge in the basement, there's blood, which doesn't make sense. But why? Yeah. Was Fenton not actually a demon? Makes you think. I mean, because we don't see Adam kill Fenton or he didn't, or did he? You see Adam kill the agent. Yeah. Well, you don't see him kill it. He's in the grave and he, he strikes him with the ax, so, but you don't see blood. So did Fenton actually shoot himself or? I think that was part of the story. That that's was part bullshit. of the story. So Adam did kill Fenton. Adam killed Fenton. Yes. Because if Fenton killed himself, then that explains the blood. Because he was behind him with the pipe. Remember, yeah. it's yeah. pipe to ax. Yeah. But there wouldn't be any blood unless Fenton actually wasn't a demon. Unless that was Fenton's blood on the agent's identification. But why? I don't know. I, it's it's interesting. It's a part of the movie that maybe is like a plot hole. Well, here's another thing that will make you think, too. If the dad, B-Pax, kills the sheriff, he acts against God's plan because he committed murder. Does that not take him out of the loop then? I don't know. So does that mean since he killed the sheriff and then Fenton kills his dad, did somehow God's plan go to Adam then and went out of his dad. Well, yeah. So Cause he committed murder and he wasn't well, supposed Adam, to kill anybody. Adam, he tells Fenton when they're kids, he goes, I see it when dad touches them. Adam has had the power the whole time. Okay. So Adam and his dad both have the power. Fenton never did. But as soon as he kills the sheriff, I feel like the power is gone. Like he I, went against God's will. Yeah. But the sheriff is a demon. So the sheriff, no, the sheriff's not a demon. The Doyle. No, no, that's, that's the uh, FBI agent. Uh, okay. I'm okay. talking about the actual sheriff that the Fenton sh- 
sheriff's do. Yeah, I got you. I got you. That's what I was thinking. I'm like, there's yeah, no follow up on a sheriff's murder. Yeah, because when you, yeah, because when you commit murder, that kind of definitely eliminates. No, know. Doyle. Doyle definitely was a demon. I'm saying it's uh, I, I the sheriff. sheriff. That was my fault. Yeah, that's a good point because they would not have been protected by God. No, in killing the sheriff because he violated God's rule by Dad killing the sheriff. Yeah. So once Fenton axe strikes him, what does the dad whisper to Adam? We don't know. Was that a transfer of power almost? Maybe. That would have been an interesting thing because you never know what he whispered. It's like the end of Lost. Yes. I know the answer is because there wouldn't be a movie. But why does Adam even bother to tell Doyle the whole story if he's just going to kill him? Because he's a serial killer. I mean, I guess it, not Adam. No, that's right. It's I mean, Fenton. Adam's pretending to be Fenton. Yeah. But Adam goes to the FBI. I mean, I think it's because it's the only way he can lure the FBI agent out of the FBI office and to the Rose Garden. And he sells it even more by just willingly handcuffing himself. Yeah. Yes. And but he didn't really need to tell him the story and have the whole twist of I'm no. actually Adam, not Fenton. There's no point to it. And okay, if Adam shows up at the FBI office to talk to Doyle, tell him the story of who the God's hand killer was. The other agents there who we see come in and say, I'm going to leave if it's okay. If you were there to provide evidence or to confess, what would they do with you at the, pol at the police or FBI station? Put you in an interrogation room where it was being recorded. Oh, definitely. They would put you in a holding cell, then in an interrogation room. Now we know that it wouldn't have mattered because no it would have been no audio and his face would have been blurred. Well, it's also right off the bat in the beginning when he kind of just, when he's talking to, what's the other agent's name that he shakes his hand I, in the end? Hall, I think. He kind of writes off, he's like, you got another guy in the office. Yeah. Like, oh, here comes another nutter claiming they know something. Yeah. So he's already written off right off the bat. Right. His character comes off weird, but like, I know who the God Hands killer is. And then he keeps referencing his mom's photo right off the bat. I'm like, listen, pal, yeah. we need to go downstairs. Yeah, right. Something. Right. He, because he's putting off weird fucking vibes. Yeah. If you came to the FBI station and you said, I'm going to confess. I mean, again, it would have been blurred and all that. But at the very least, you would have tried to interrogate him in, in a, not just in your office. Also, that tracking tape. Yeah. Old VHS tapes every now and then, if you were to pause it at the right point, it would clear. Yeah. Well, that's because of the protection of God. But the, oh, that's a good point. But the funny thing about that is they put a tape in the VCR. They hit play. There's a band just tracking band yeah. across face so you never see him hey we've got a problem we've got to take a look at this there he is we got you now buddy what is this can't explain it all the tapes look like this god damn it We're running the name he gave you now it's got to be a fake name sounds fake fenton meeks they hit the side of the TV. Yeah, they Fonzie it. It's not a no. that type of TV. No, it's, it's not a monitor. It's yeah. yeah. Um, Dad tells Fenton that the angel said that Fenton was on the list, and Dad won't do anything about it because he's trying to like conversion therapy his son. He's trying to make him like have a vision and prove he's not a demon. Are you afraid? What? You. Only demons should fear me. And you're not a demon, are you? The angel said you were. I can't believe that. I won't. You're my son. 
And I love you more than my own life. But dad tells Fenton he's on the list. But dad touches Fenton. Yeah. And doesn't have gloves on. And as far as we can tell, there's no reaction. Would he not have seen him kill him? Maybe. I mean, I guess maybe you don't, you only see past actions, not future actions. But it still seems like something would have came up to. What did it have to do with the mom then? Maybe. Maybe. Fenton killed her. Something. I, I don't know. Again, town called Meat, which is fictional. <laughs> but I just love that Meat sounds like it could be in Texas. Fine. The last thing I have, very last line of the movie, Adam shakes Hall's hand. Hall drives away. He shakes his hand for a very long time and... Almost creepy. And Adam says, you know, God is good and or whatever. And the wife shows up behind him, agrees. Is she helping him? Is, is she aware that he's the... God hand killer? He's not the God's hand killer. killer that's, does she help him destroy demons? He's a demon slayer. And, and she's pregnant. Yeah. And is this done? Because he says God's will has been done. So is that finite? Are we done? He's he's killed Fenton, so now... I'm happy that there wasn't a sequel because then you know it would have been the child. Oh, yeah, Then this would have kept fucking going, but I'm glad Bill Paxton well, I guess didn't the decide child, to go though, I guess the child, though, is a clue that indicates this is going to become the family business, maybe. Possibly. That they're going to continue to get names of demons. But we got lucky and we didn't get a sequel. It's interesting that, you know, they gave him the sheriff profession because what better job to have than for him to be able to access these demons exactly so i don't know they make a good for a good comedy series where it's like he has to chase down the demons sort of like a repo man or something yeah and he has to uh you know reveal them as demons what's the legacy of this movie i, I think it's it's pretty solid well like movie i think unfortunately it's legacy is that it did not make enough money to allow Bill Paxton the opportunity to direct again. He did a great job. Because he said he wanted the opportunity to direct more movies, but I think it probably was just a bad look because Lionsgate was like, well, we gave you $11 million. And you only made 17. And you only made 17. But like $11 million is not very much money for making a movie. You have to remember, this is still in a world, especially here, eight months after 9-11. Stuff really didn't recover yet. I mean, what what was the expectation? Like 30? Did they really expect this to make I mean, 30 million i don't i don't know i mean it, they gave him 11 million dollars and as far as i remember no marketing budget at all plus it's an april release ah april's not the biggest month I, I don't, for a I movie would have been curious to know what yeah. the expectation was but it's a bummer because i would have liked to see bill paxton direct again exactly so rest in peace all right stick around for some plugs it was something i'd wanted to do for a long time and, and i i can't take all the credit here i had a great screenplay written by brent hanley who's, who hails from grand prairie I had these great Texas actors who got involved and supported me, particularly Matthew McConaughey, who by signing on to play the other role with me really got the picture made. Powers Booth, who I always admired as an actor, I'd gotten to know him on Tombstone a few years ago, and uh, I was, you know, for him to come in and support me this way, we it was um, it was a it was a script that kind of grabbed all of us. It's it's got it's kind of Texas Gothic, this Texas Gothic thriller. Uh, and it, it, the film kind of had its kind of roots in kind of classic Hollywood kind of horror thrillers uh, of the past. Movies that I grew up seeing like Hush Hush Sweet Charlotte and Whatever Happened to Baby Jane. It was a great actor's piece but uh, the, this movie creates its scares and its tension as you know through kind of characters that you really start to identify with and it kind of turns its screws very slowly but uh, it's very effective. I. I like to preface that the movie's not a slasher film, but it does scare the hell out of people. It scared the hell out of me. It's, um, 
It's a movie we're all very proud of. Cool Sceners, once again, thank you for listening to this episode of the show and all of the other ones in our back catalog. And you can find those on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, Podbay, and wherever you get your podcast from, because we are there. And never forget to like, comment, subscribe, rate, and follow on Facebook. Join the Pool Sceners group for exclusive content. You will get it there first. Instagram, Twitch, threads tiktok and youtube at pool scene podcast we are all over the place so you will never get one opportunity to miss us anytime anywhere and as always back to kevin final lap guy are you a demon yeah So today, as we're recording, uh, Oscar nominees came out. Yep. You can go visit those and, and see who got snubbed, who is deserving, who's not. Razzie nominations also came out, which I, I'm kind of over the Razzies because, yeah. I mean, we just shit on some songs, but like the Razzies just make a- uh, We a, get it. A job out of like yeah. shitting on things. Oscar nominees I thought were pretty straightforward. A couple surprise, like no Margot Robbie for best actress. No DiCaprio. No DiCaprio. And you know, I- I really like watching Anatomy of a Fall is like gaining steam. I'll be curious to know. Poor Things did very well at the Golden Globes. I'll be curious to see how it translates for Emma Stone's sake. So Best Picture can have up to 10 movies. It doesn't have to be 10, but it can be up to 10. Why don't they do the same thing in the acting categories? I would agree. Do up to 10 in the actor and actress. Just, you know, because having a a definite roadblock of five, you know, some years there's six, some years there's eight. I think if you had six, I think you have Margot Robbie on there. She's not going to win. No, but. But she should be recognized. Yeah. Something else that should be recognized 100% in my opinion, maybe not at the Oscars because they've never really jived this way, but at the Golden Globes. So Golden Globes separates everything by comedy and musical or drama. So you've got your best picture in a comedy or musical, your best actor, best actress in comedy or musical. Why don't they do horror? They don't have to spend a lot of time on it. They don't. Best actor, best actress in horror, best horror picture. It's always been frowned upon. It's always been the evil stepchild. But every year there's always good performances in those movies. I mean, I just would like to see them get mainstream recognition. Again, you don't have to do the Oscars. Oscars, like Silence of the Lambs, kind of a horror movie, you know, one best picture. But like, it's few and far between that you ever see like any horror, horror jazz. Uh, very doubtful mrs doubtfire um <laughs> so uh jim what do you got going on real quickly oppenheimer is gonna win oh 13 noms i think they're gonna get a lot i think they're gonna at least get nine yeah i think nine's good i downey wins killing murphy wins probably nolan probably wins maybe it'll be interesting to see i still think greta gerwig should have got a nomination for probably director. yeah that movie brought look how much barbie made for god's sake uh-huh. so she needs to be i still think they need to bring back that um and they did it at the golden globes this year they announced it for the oscars i'm not crazy at one point in time they announced the oscars were going to have this um blockbuster category so but like popular film. Yeah. Best popular film. I think it would be so smart because you're recognizing movies that aren't going to get, you know, and then maybe you could sneak some horror movies into that category. I think they need to target a younger audience because the Oscars are more like people like our age and older. Well, that's why the, you know, I'm, I'm not really joking. The MTV Movie Awards used to. Oh, it used to be great. Be awesome because it did fill in the gaps yeah. on popular movies. Yeah. Pop movies, horror movies, the whole best kid 
kiss, like shit like that. Mm-hmm. I ended up dusting off the old stand up and I, I brought myself out of retirement this past weekend. I performed for our buddy of the show, Josh Winters. He, he started a thing at a new bar. I said, out, oh, why not? I didn't really prep anything. I went up for about 10 minutes. You did 10 minutes? I did 10 minutes. Holy I shit. ended up following. I felt confident about this. So there's this going guy. I don't remember his name, but his whole shtick was he is in an axiotl or an axiotl yeah. costume. Axolotl. Axolotl. And he went on, I kid you not, for 20 minutes. No. 25 minutes. And a lot of it was talking about dirty vaginas. No. And it was like, it's at a point where I'm looking at Josh and I'm just just like no light. They didn't give him the light. Well, he was trying to, it was his first night there. So he didn't even know he what wasn't, the light was. There was sometimes where Josh would walk towards the stage and kind of, and some people were getting a hit, but it was to the point like guy was talking about dirty vaginas. There was another guy who literally brought his handwritten notes and would say something and then turn around to the stage. And he had everything laid out on the chair. Oh man. So then he's just reading and I'm I, like, I'm not, so fuck. this sounds crazy. I'm not opposed to maybe notes at like an open mic or something, yeah. but like not laid out to where you know he's flipping through his book of notes and then going okay i'm gonna try this put it on your phone yeah he's got a whole thing out and then it's just like so I, how so many people went up there was well i guess technically i am still a part of the youngstown comedy syndicate but ran a show at cork and cap and then lillard yeah. came down oh, okay afterwards and then did there so they went from warren down to there and jason moliterno came down and they closed the show oh they did they did some time they did a little okay. bit not much nine of us ten of us okay so i mean really good owner was pretty sweet what's that place called nunzio and dan's <laughs> i can't remember jimmy nino's jimmy nino's jimmy Nino. talk about wings as we did last week i got some wings to go they had um these cajun wings it wasn't a cajun ranch okay but it was a wet cajun because i'm not a big fan of dry cajun a wet cajun rub oh more bon. that's what you got in your first relationship a wet cajun rub <laughs> So speaking of which I was saving this, but I'll do my wing stop updates. So oh, I, yeah. I sent you Good pictures yep. last week when we recorded, I, I tried wing stop for the first time. I got one of those deals. The, they definitely just make everything ahead. Okay. I mean, which we, we suspected. Yeah. They just sit it under a lamp. They, they make a thousand boneless wings, a thousand wings. And then as they're ordered, they, you know, slap some sauce on them. So you had a rubbery wing kind of no, they just weren't like hot. Okay. They weren't bad. So they just they were laying out, but they at least didn't like flash fry them for like 30 seconds. No, like, they just, they just weren't very hot. The, okay. the fries, I was surprised because like they do like the platter or boat of fries. Okay. And they just, they don't put those in styrofoam, which I appreciate, but I wasn't aware of this. Not that I drive like a maniac, but like they just put like a boat full of exposed fries <laughs> down in your bag. It's going to shift. Yeah. And like, uh, whatever. And, yeah. And they were okay. They were like fresh cut so like some of them are all like hinging on like kind of raw yeah and some you know how it is like but i like a cut. fresh cut yeah fry. fresh cut fries yeah they're heavily seasoned with something the wing sauces are nothing to tear your ass over i mean they're just like they're generic they're, they're kind of yeah there's nothing like this is a good sauce they don't have like, a signature sauce so i would not go out of my way to because again you like you had said b-dubs i've ordered b-dubs takeout before b-dubs with carryout does like a, a cardboard box like a recycled or something and then they have like almost like a plastic or foil liner on the inside of the box. They hold up pretty well. Yeah. 
So like if I didn't have a coupon, if, if whatever, I'd probably just order from like a B-dubs rather like if I really wanted something like that, probably order from B-dubs rather than Wingstop. So you would not return to the Wingstop? Not like. It, you're not saying no, but yeah. it's, it's going to be on low uh, list uh, yeah. priority. If, if you're like, what are you thinking? It's not going to be Wingstop. Like if somebody was like, I'm going to get Wingstop, I'd be like, okay, I'm fine with that. Yeah, whatever. But I'm just not going to be like. You're not going to go out of your way to go, hey, tonight yes. is a Wingstop night. Yeah, exactly. Right. Nobody's ever said that exactly right yeah maybe somebody has maybe okay so blood meridian by cormac mccarthy so i read a decent amount i i like to read books biographies wrestling books i read you know different things um sometimes i reread books that i like i feel as though i i'm a strong reader this book is really hard to read really i've been trying to read it for a while and to the point where like today i was like i'm feeling crazy i was like i don't know if i just can't focus because so long story short i when i drop my daughter off at school we have to wait in this pickup line and people start lining up way in advance they don't actually open the doors till 8 30 it's obscene so you have to get there like we get there sometimes a half hour early i'll sit there in my car and read so i'm like maybe it's just because like I'm reading first thing in the morning. I can't concentrate. I can't focus. I'm distracted. But to make sure I wasn't crazy, I Googled it to see if like, am I an idiot? And I found some Reddit posts that have given me vindication where they're basically like, this is not (laughs) an easy book to read. It's very difficult. Yeah. Saying the maybe the best thing to do with Blood Meridian is like to read it or read a majority of it and then go back and start at the beginning because it's like once you get comfortable with how it's all laid out. So they've been trying to turn Blood Meridian into a movie for literally decades. Tommy Lee Jones bought the rights at one point in the 90s. That time it didn't move forward because of the violence. The studio was like, we're not making this movie. It's way too violent. Then somewhere between 2004 2008, with Scott Rudin producing, Ridley Scott was going to direct. But again, too violent. So Ridley Scott dropped out. In 2011, James Franco shot 25 minutes of test footage with Scott Rudin still as producer. But Scott Rudin had the rights and said, no, we're not going to do any more of that. Cormac McCarthy books turned into movies have been a pretty successful endeavor. All the Pretty Horses, The Road, a couple others, and then the most successful of which, No Country for Old Men, which won Best Picture. Tommy Lee Jones got to be in a Cormac McCarthy movie after all because he was in No Country for Old Men. So the guy who directed The Road, John Hillcote, is going to be taking a try at Blood Meridian. Cormac McCarthy and his son serving as producers until Cormac McCarthy died in June. So I guess I will say, John Hillcote, Hillcote, good luck. We'll see yeah but i mean things have changed somewhat because like you could probably tuck this on netflix or amazon or somewhere if and it's still lucrative if if it wouldn't get a theatrical release it's mostly a book about scalping natives yeah so like and it's like frontier time there's definitely a lot of like pretty crazy violence but nothing like i i told you i watched um bone tomahawk yeah it's not gonna be more violent than that so we'll see i guess i'm gonna continue to try and finish that i've got a couple other books to read but i just can't i'm like i can't get past it it's just yeah slow so next week we have a pretty good idea of what we're doing something you know it mostly has to do with something we talk about a great deal in this podcast that's right and uh it may involve golden arches is made of french fries so yeah stick around till next week when we're gonna discuss in a roundabout way donald's mcdonald's silencia Wait,